Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day now promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my sister that you've given us, Lord, in spite of all that is going on, in spite of all the things that are in the world, in spite of weather today, Lord, that you've given us to uplift the name of Jesus, Lord, the name which is above all names. For, Lord, we're not esteeming any day above another. All days are the same. And every day we ought to be strong in grace that we might do the will of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who were not able to make it tonight due to weather, due to, due to spiritual attack and other things that they have going on. I pray that you bless them, Lord, and give them an understanding that this is not about us. This is not about us. This is only about you, Lord Jesus. And if we can just step outside of ourselves, we'll be quite all right. So, Lord, I'm just asking that in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention. Every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you bind it and you cast it down. And I pray for tonight's subject, Lord, that your words be heard clear. I pray no flesh gets glorified. I pray, Lord, that all the glory be yours, Lord, that you send the Holy Ghost in a strong fashion, Lord, and your spirit of teaching, Lord, for edification of the saints. For we only speak to the holy remnant, Lord. You said whosoever will hear these words might repent and be baptized and be saved unto eternal life. But for those who don't believe, Lord, that's really not our problem. What we do is tell people the truth, and if they should not receive it, then it is on them. But we pray that all men come to repentance because that is the heart of Jesus Christ, that souls might get saved. So I pray tonight, Lord, that through the simplest of words and terms, that your message tonight will be heard, that we will stop looking for the easy way out and start walking the only way that we can with you is through the cross. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, do what we pray for, Lord, if it pleases you, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be an important one. I think it's going to be one of uh, significance. Because I'm going to talk about a good friend of mine. I'm going to talk about a brother in the Lord, okay, that is a lot older than I am. But, you know, I think it's important that we discuss this brother because this brother didn't have a choice in the matter, you know. And I think that what we're trying to do right now is 
give new understanding to how he lived and what he wanted because I think that people really do misunderstand this guy. And the reason I call him a brother because for all men that are of Christ, that are of the Spirit, or are truly brothers in Jesus Christ, we are of one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. And I believe that, you know, when people look at Adam and Eve, people always say, well, they played the blame game on people. You know, they were always passing the buck when it came time for the Lord to ask them a question. But I can tell you right now, Adam and Eve have nothing on this brother and what he's been through. This is the single most singled out individual in the Bible that people love to relate things to that, you know, if they were in his place, I'm not so sure that they would do the same thing. So tonight, I'm here to defend a guilty man or an innocent man that people are trying to make guilty. I know the reason why I'm defending this brother is because he's just like our Lord Jesus Christ. He did exactly what our Lord did, and I will intend to prove that tonight. Okay, I'm speaking about the thief on the cross. Tonight's study is going to be about the thief on the cross. Because, you know, when you start talking to people about their need for Jesus and their need for salvation and their need to walk as Jesus walked and do what Jesus did, our need to obey the Lord so that we may have lives that are fruitful and that we may forsake things just so we can obtain that treasure that Jesus Christ put in earth and vessels. But you see, when people go to this thief on the cross, they're always looking at him because they said he got saved at the last minute. So we're going to find out if these things are true because, you know, I just can't stand it when we point towards salvation and we point towards all the scriptures that the Bible says. And then people will go to Luke 23 or Matthew 27 or Mark 15 and find one individual out of all that gospel, all that Bible, all that instruction. And they'll try and say, well, if this brother made it in, and I can make it in. Okay, so let's see. All right, we're going to get started in this today. And we're going to go to Luke 23, and we are going to begin at verse 1. But we are going to prove that this thief on the cross was not someone that was looking for an easy way out. This was someone that recognized who he was, and he shared the same fate as our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go to Luke 23, and we will start at verse 1. Luke 23 and verse 1, and it says, And the whole multitude them arose and led him unto Pilate, led Jesus. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So as we understand, as we did that teaching, there is another king, one Jesus, you remember in um, Acts 17, it spoke about how that the disciples of Jesus Christ and those that were believers were turning the world upside down. And people were saying, you know, that they've come and they're ruining everything, but really they were turning the world right side up. Now, I know we've covered this subject before, but as you can see, when you come bringing the truth in Jesus Christ, 
We have to understand that Satan's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Whatever God's kingdom is, Satan's kingdom is a polar opposite. So they said, we found this fellow perverting the nation. Now you would have to ask yourself, if you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how did Jesus pervert the gospel? How did he pervert the nation? If anything, he brought light and he taught man what he needed to know that he might be righteous. But you see, in a dark, dreary kingdom, you know, this is where you would get that mindset of he's perverting things. You know why? Because you're perverted. Because your mind is not like it should be. And your mind is so far from Christ that you would see a Christian as a troublemaker. When really, if you examine everything that a Christian says, what is he saying that is not righteous? What is he saying that is not good? Yeah. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even when people despitefully use you, that you ought to love them. If someone wanted to steal something from you, the Bible says to give it to him because a great is our reward in heaven. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The Lord is trying to get us to live in a noble fashion, in a fashion worthy of a king and his kindred and his children. So why would we want to go from that to turn to beast into the law of the jungle doing what we want to do so that we might be pleased? So we got to understand there's something really wrong here because when you go back to the 30s, even the 40s and 50s, I'm not that old, but I, do, I am familiar with the time that, you know, men actually asked women out on a real date. You know, men would even believe that that woman was only set for one man and they would believe that they would not touch that woman unless they married her. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you had the whole community that would stand behind it. And what did you have? Children born in wedlock. You didn't have the dropout rate as high as you got it. You didn't have uh, STDs floating around as much as you see them today. You didn't have homosexuality all over the place like it is today. So, you know, the wages of sin is death. And I'm not trying to condemn people. I want people to have an understanding. How can you possibly say that even 60 years ago that this world was better now? It's better now than it was then. So you see, they call what Christians are trying to push on the world perversion, when really it's teaching you to have some self-respect. It's teaching you to have dignity. It's teaching you to see things in a God-like manner that you may be respected. Because any woman that's out there giving herself out to any man in the world, you know that man don't respect you. That's why he didn't put a rock on your hand. That's why he's using you for everything that he can get from you. What God desires for you, Jesus Christ, women, is your best friend. Right. Jesus Christ, men, is your best friend. The Bible even says even if you seduce a woman into bed, I believe that's in Exodus or Numbers, he said that you ought to marry that woman. Why? Because she doesn't belong to you. And that's something that we need to understand is the gospel itself is not perverted. The gospel is the truth in Christ that we might be righteous, that we might be like him. Come on, world, we've tried it our way, and look at what came of it. You get nothing but spat in the face after you get used by a wicked and corrupt society. I'm talking to you about having self-respect, having dignity, yielding to a Lord that loves you, that will take you away from perversion, that you may be made whole. You know, man, what an awesome God.
So which says that 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 Jesus Christ here was for, forbidden to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now you know that this is somewhat true, but it's also not true because Jesus Christ says, "Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give the Lord what is His." Caesar is the king. He was the king of the world. You might as well say Jesus Christ had nothing to do with that. He was dealing with the minds and the souls and the hearts of people that they may be set free from this world that we might be like him. But he never came against Caesar. He never came against the Roman Empire. He never came against anything that had anything to do with the world except that which was unjust that he wanted to set right. He was setting the captives free. You know what? I'm in a mood right now, man, like no other. I'm going to go to Luke 4 real quick. And I want to look at verse 18, and I want people to understand and hear what Jesus Christ said. This is not the subject for tonight, but we need to have an understanding about our king, because this world will call him perverse. They call Christians nasty, dirty, and filthy, closed-minded, simple-minded. They're hate-filled. No, they're not hate-filled. Look at what Jesus Christ came to do. This is Luke 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So as we can see, our king, okay, has a heart for the poor. The same people that you walk by every day and you won't give a cracker to, these are the people that the Lord cares about and them being made whole. He's better than our government, huh? He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So I want to I want to hear from all the broken-hearted people out there, all the people that have all their riches, everything that they have in this world, and you know it's not filling you one bit. You know that there is a void in you as to why you might even feel lonely, why you can't trust people, how many men and women have used you. I mean, let's get to the truth of the matter here. Your heart is broken. You can't fool me. Homosexuals, you can't fool me. I know that you don't believe that this is normal, but you think it's the only way to cope with life. I know your story. I know about your situation. I know it ain't okay for you to be feeling like you got to get rammed like an animal and in all types of filth and perversion that you might please your partner. You can't look me in the eyes and tell me that this is right. I know that many of you were molested. I know that many of you were hurt. I know the pain. But I'm telling you who came to set your heart right, that it may not be broken, that you might be made whole, and that you may serve the living God. I want people to understand this when they talk about perversion, because this is not about perversion. This is about being made whole and being righteous before a righteous and everlasting God. Okay, so I'm quite clear. I get it, okay, that your hearts are broken, but I'm telling you who can fix it. Give them a try. Because you've tried everything else. Most of you know, most of you have grandparents and parents that pray for you, that want you to come in and get to know Jesus. I think it's time you do that. Because life expectancy, and this ain't just about the homosexual. This is about anybody that has given themselves over to the world, that have been hurt, that need Jesus. And I'm telling you who's going to make it right. Accept him and he will clean up your life. I mean, and that's spoken from a whoremonger, okay? That's what I was. That was spoken from someone that would do whatever he needed to do. Someone that had done abortions in his life, 
Okay, so I want people to have an understanding here. You're not talking to a goody-two-shoes, self-righteous individual. I'm telling you who fixed me that he might fix you. So he came to heal the brokenhearted. And that's even to the, you know, the, the children out there with no father. He said, if my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Our God has a heart to those who are in need to preach deliverance to the captives. You see, a lot of us thought that we were free until we got a hold of the real gospel. Then we realized we were subject to the world. We were captive to everything that the world wanted us to do. And what Jesus Christ wants to do is set us free, that we may not be restricted to money, that we may not be restricted to needing um, attention from people. You know, that we don't need people in order to be what we need to be for Christ. He makes us whole, and it is important that we understand this. Christ in you is the hope of glory, to recover sight to the blind. Again, this goes right back to people that think that they've been set free. Man, you are blind without the gospel. You're blind without Jesus Christ. Your history that you learned in school has another story. Your education in school, man, has an undercover story that you don't know anything about. Get to know him, and he's going to reveal that truth of that which is right, that we might be like him. So he restores sight to the blind. Man, when you recognize that Satan runs this world, that is the only true way for us to be set free, is to have an understanding as to who Jesus Christ is. You don't know the amount of wicked and perversion, the wickedness and perversion in this world. How you can abort a child and then go eat lunch. And then call it, well, this is what I'm doing for my life. You don't understand the depths of Satan. Get to know Christ. To set at liberty them that are bruised. How many of us are held back in life from our hurts and pains? How many of us are going into cycle after cycle? Because we have wounds and hurts and pains that we refuse to let anybody know. Well, I'll let people in on a little secret. Jesus Christ already knows about it. He's just waiting for you to come to him. He says that if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you are bruised and you're hurting, Jesus Christ is that remedy for you. Not another man, not another woman, not another job, not another exercise plan. Those things may be good if they're governed by Christ. But you see, Christ can make you whole aside from all these things. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, he, Jesus doesn't want to send anyone to hell. I know that Christians are always being painted as, you guys don't care anything about people. Y'all want people to go to hell. What kind of God will send people to hell? So this is why in verse 19, he says he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does God want? He wants you with him. He wants you to be saved. He has given us ample time and warning, a whole lifetime that we might come to him. Why? Because each day is not promised to us. For those who have not given their lives over to Christ, I'm telling you, you are treading on thin ice. You don't know when your end will come. And that's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth, but lay up treasures that are in heaven, that thieves won't come and break through and steal, but where moth nor rust will corrupt, but it will endure forever and ever. You know that this life isn't permanent. 
All you got to do is go down to the graveyard, go down to the morgue. People have an expiration date, but him that endureth in Jesus Christ lives forever. And as we discuss this thief on the cross tonight, we are going to go into the steps that are necessary for us to walk with Jesus, that we might not be left out because we would have done what he has called us to do. All right, so we can head back to Luke 23. But that's why Jesus Christ came. But you see what he was accused of? He was accused of being someone that he wasn't. Why? Because of a bunch of corrupt-minded people. So it says in verse 2, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, we got to understand, too, concerning Jesus. I know we're going to get right into the lesson, guys. But we've got to understand that if it weren't for people that truly believed in this world and its system, it would crack and crumble. The reason why this world needs you to keep things going is because it's furthering along an agenda that Satan wants you to have. And that's why Jesus said to live in this world, but not of it. And Pilate asked him, this is verse 3, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. So the same Pilate, you know, who was a, a governor of Caesar, is saying he finds no fault in Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. You guys are just jealous of him because he's walking around in the power of the spirit and people are seeing you religious fanatics for what you are. Verse 5, And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, uh, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, uh, he asked whether the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, whom himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. So he said, hey, this is a Herod issue. Since you guys don't want to hear what I'm saying, I'm the governor. I find no fault in this man. But what do they want? They want Jesus eradicated. So he said, hey, man, go to Herod. I'm not dealing with this. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So we got to understand, because the name Herod gets used loosely, this is not the Herod when Jesus was a child that tried to kill them. That was a different Herod. Herod is like their last name or the king. This Herod is a type of, you know, somewhat like Caesar, this Herod, um, I can't remember his name exactly, but this is not the Herod that, that tried to kill Christ when he was a child. All right, so he saw many miracles that Jesus Christ had done and hoped that Jesus would do a miracle for him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. So you understand that Jesus wasn't here to defend himself, so these guys were accusing him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked Jesus. They mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So they thought it was funny how Jesus wasn't defending himself. And, you know, they mocked him because he wasn't here to defend himself. And they sent him to Pilate. 
And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. So you see, when people come against Jesus Christ, just like we discussed the other day, Samson pulling over, pushing over those two pillars, representing government and religion, we get a real understanding here that, you see, the world will come together on one accord when they want to eradicate Christians. And that's why Christians should have no part in this world system. Why? Because if you're really a Christian, this world doesn't accommodate you. This is the world of Satan. When you go into religion, you best believe every religion or religious setting is owned by Satan. So we need to understand that we need to get to know Jesus Christ. Because if you got big mega pastors out there and you got all these people having all this wealth, you best believe that the devil gave it to them. Now, God can give gifts, but we've got to understand if this is the devil's world, and Paul says that evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, and he says for all that will live godly will suffer persecution, then you know that anyone that is doing well in this world, not even being come against by Satan, is definitely on Satan's payroll. He doesn't even take you serious unless you stand against the system. Like Jesus, verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers uh, and the people, said unto them, We have brought this man unto me, ye have brought this man unto me, as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. So he was thoroughly looked over by Pilate, and all we can see is, you know, that Jesus did nothing wrong. But you see, if you've got ulterior motives, if you are religious, you are blind, and you go after things. That's why Paul says, man, I persecuted the church of God. He said, and I destroyed it. He went after it because he had so much zeal from the traditions of his fathers. You better get to know Jesus yourself and not get swept up in religion. Verse 15, No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. So he said, okay, I'll play the good guy here. And you got to understand, the devil couldn't wait for this. All right, you ain't going to do nothing to him. Who do you think was going to chastise him? If this is the Lamb of God for the foundation of the world. Now, Pilate thought, all right, I'll put a couple of stripes upon his back and then set him free. The devil had other plans. As Pilate yielded to having Jesus beaten, I'm sure the devil is the one that grabbed the scourge. Mm -hmm. You don't think it was beaten sitting there? It was demons sitting there beating Jesus? Yeah. Man, there's something to think about. So it says, um, he said he will chastise him and release him. Verse 17, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. So they didn't want, you know, one time of year, Pilate made clear in the other Gospels that I have to set one prisoner free. So will it be Jesus Christ, who's done absolutely nothing, who's tried to raise people to a high standard? Or would it be Barabbas, who was like an agitator, someone like an Alex Jones, Someone like someone of the world that would fight for political power and try to take the nation by force. So he said, hey, it's either Jesus or Barabbas. For who, I mean, who for a certain sedition 
made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So Barabbas wanted Israel freed so bad that he even killed Romans just to try and accomplish his mission. So let's see who the people pick here. Verse 20, Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them, but they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and, and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. So, you know, you even read other gospels of Mark. It says the chief priest even enticed the people to cause this uproar to get them to listen. So you see, if you caught up in religion, you will fight against the very God of the Bible and our Lord and Savior if you can't think for yourself. Right. So you see, they were pushed into doing this, but if you look at the people, they didn't even have an answer. All they wanted was him dead. That's how the world receives the true church of God today. Man, I don't even, I know you're not saying anything wrong, but I just don't want to hear you anymore. I want to wander around in my filth and what I believe, and that's okay for me, even though this is not even a world to love. But I'd rather have that than have somebody telling me that I can be better in Jesus. Man, you talk about a wicked society. Mm -hmm. So he says, And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus uh, to their will. So Pilate didn't want to do it, but he just said, you know what? Let me let this guy go. I don't want to uprise him. And if you ever really read the other Gospels, we'll find out exactly why Pilate did too. Pilate was willing to stand for Jesus, but the people, these very religious people that wanted Jesus killed, they said, if you don't crucify him, then you're standing against Caesar. And that was what they told him. So Pilate, naturally being a governor, you got to be crazy to go up against Caesar, especially if you're not even saved. So this was someone, this was how they got their agenda met, that our Lord and Savior, our King, would be crucified. An innocent man. Now we're going to hear of another innocent man who, well, you know, he wasn't innocent. He wasn't an innocent man. But what I mean is the way that people are picking him out today. This man already died and went on with the Lord. But people are trying to resurrect him just so they can stay involved in their filthy deeds. Exactly. All right, so it says in verse 26, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And they followed him, a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. So Jesus understood, hey, there's something bigger than just me being crucified here. Now look at the selflessness of Jesus Christ, was not worried about himself going to the cross and and. You know, we should post on the website what crucifixion really is. 
Because I think that people have lost sight of that. They just look at a man hanging on a cross. You don't understand why those nails were in his hands. He was hanging by his own weight. You don't understand that they make the platform that's, that's on the cross short. So your legs are bent and you can't straighten up. So I'm talking even in a wrestling team and all them people out there, when they tell you, what do they call that leaning up against the wall in a bent sitting position? And you do it for a short period of time and then you get up, but it's like conditioning your stomach and your legs. Oh. He had to stay this way for hours, mm -hmm. okay? Bleeding out after already being scourged. Crucifixion is no joke. With your arms spread wide, you're hanging by your weight, and it's like you can't even expand your chest to breathe. People don't even understand what this is about. It's squats, but they like lean up against the wall or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But Jesus said, man, don't worry about me. Worry about you guys. Verse 29. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. So he's saying, you know, to these mothers, hey, don't worry about me. Because the days are going to come that you're going to be glad that you did not have children. They're going to be blessed. Why? Because you're going to hear as this new world order progresses and all these things are coming to be, you're going to hear children crying because they need food. You're going to see a mass extermination and persecution of man, woman, or child. This is what the devil has in store for you, so you better get into Christ. Mm -hmm. So he says, verse 30, then shall they begin to say to this mountain, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? So he's absolutely right. Because a man can be as wicked, as selfish, as evil as they are right now. What are you going to do when the famine starts? What are you going to do when the mark of the beast is instituted? Then you're going to really find out what people are and how they can be. So he said, you know, don't worry about me. But he's also quoting here in 30, Revelation chapter 6, when he said that when the, at the return of the Lord, that the wicked people of the earth will say, let the rocks fall on us because the angry lamb, which is Jesus Christ, is coming back to revenge all disobedience. There's something to think about. So verse 32, we'll get on with it right now. And there were also two other malefactors. What are malefactors? They are criminals. They are trespassers. They are transgressors, people that are broken the law. These are two people here led with him to be put to death. Now, if you guys remember Isaiah 53, it says that he was numbered among the transgressions, the transgressors. He was cut out of the land of the living, all right? And he was numbered with those who would be of the grave or those who wouldn't make it. So our Jesus Christ, an innocent man, was placed between two criminals, all right? Led with him to be put to death. And when they would come to the place, which is called Calvary, what does Calvary mean? Golgotha, which means what? A place of the skull. There, were, uh, there they crucified him. And the, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So as we understand, these thieves also probably stole from the Roman Empire that these guys are also being crucified. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he's supposed to be a perverse individual, an innocent man on the cross asking his father 
forgive these people who have done this to me, for they, they know not what they do. They do not recognize who I am. How is this perverted? And they parted his raiment, they took his clothes and cast lots. They gambled for it. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him. They teased him, saying, um, He saved others. Let him save himself, um, if he be Christ and chosen of God. So these people are misunderstanding. But you see, these are the blind people that Jesus came to liberate. They don't understand that if Jesus would have listened to that and set himself free, they would have been condemned to hell for all eternity. Yeah. And that actually sounds like Satan speaking through them because remember back in Matthew 4 mm -hmm. where it says, you know, if you be the son of God and turn these rocks into bread mm -hmm. or, you know, have the angels come down and you know, mm -hmm. deliver you off of this pinnacle. So that sounds like him trying to speak to these people one last time before he was crucified to see if he would do anything. Exactly. They were trying to get him to save himself. But Jesus Christ denied himself and went forward with the process. That's why the Bible says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yep. Verse uh, 36, And the soldiers also mocked him. You know these were demons coming to him and offering him vinegar, trying to make him bitter. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So we've got to understand, because you brought up a great point. They tried to get Jesus. You see three different things taking place here. One, they said that if you be a king or you, they, they teased him. Um, he saved others, let him save himself. That was the first temptation. And you know something? Now that you said that, this is the pride of life that they were trying to tell him. Mm -hmm. All right, you saved others. Now let's see you save yourself. Right. Then it says, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. So what were they trying to do? They were trying to make him better. Mm -hmm. They were trying to get him to worry about himself or to be right. mad at his right. father. That would be the lust of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Then it says, in saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. I guess the last one would be the pride of life. The first would be saving yourself, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Mm -hmm. But either way, these, these are the same thing that they pulled on Adam and Eve that the devil did to Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus to worry about himself and to deny the purpose of his father. Exactly. So this is also interesting, too, because... This is what the devil is trying to do to you and I. And see, this is why people don't understand, man. I'm not arguing about some world. I'm not arguing about money and all this other mess. I'm trying to tell you that the devil has perfected using you to worry about you that you might not obey Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. This is what he's doing. So people want to sit there and argue over bread and all that. Man, ain't nobody talking about that, man. I'm talking to people about obeying the Lord that we might get saved. Amen. Verse 39. And one of the male factors which was hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So you see the heart of this individual was just like the very people that are hanging him up. Yeah. So you would have to ask yourself, what kind of person is this? If anything, you would feel sorry for Jesus because he's just like you. You're in the same predicament. But these guys 
this guy is talking about, well, if you really be the son, mocking him, he had to be crazy. But it's wrong. if you be the son of God, save yourself. But wait a minute, before you save you, save us too. Get us out the, you know, get us off the cross so that we might be okay. Yeah. And it's like because the devil couldn't use himself and he couldn't use these people. Mm -hmm. Now he's got to get right up next to Jesus mm -hmm. with this guy on the cross. It's kind of like it just spread mm -hmm. right next to him. Mm -hmm. You know, with this one guy saying, "Well, if, you know, it's like you're just speaking right through the guy." Mm -hmm. And you know what? This is exactly right too, because I don't care what order we go in in this teaching. Mm -hmm. We need points to be made clear. This guy said, save us. You know what? This, these are the goats. This is the wheat. I mean, these are the tares. Yeah. These are the people that don't want Jesus Christ. Because you know something? As soon as he said, you know, save yourself and us, this is the mentality for the fake church world today. This is the false believer. What does he say? Oh, well, if God really loved us, I don't think he would want me to go away and preach the gospel because what can happen to me? Oh, you mean to say there's no pre-trib rapture? Well, what kind of God would do this to me? Obviously, he would want us to be safe, right? Okay, let's see. Let's see about this. So this guy wanted to be saved. He didn't want to have to endure this cross. Yep. He said, hey, if you be the son of God, save yourself and us. But the other, this is the wheat, here's the, the sheep, you know, here's the one that sees clearly. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So this guy understood, don't you even fear God, considering that you're in the same place? Yeah. So what we understand about this thief on the cross, this guy was a believer. This guy said, don't you fear God. So in other words, he believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God. That wasn't even in question for him because he was examining this situation properly. There is no man on earth who is innocent, is going to bear the sins for the whole world and not defend himself. Who could do that but God? And that's what this guy already understood. And he even rebuked his friend that he was once with like that. I said, man, don't you even understand? Don't you fear God? You know, for what you're saying, see, we're in the same condemnation. Like, in other words, man, I'm not even worrying about this. I'm worrying about being um, saved from my condemnation. Verse 41, and he indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. So what this guy understands is, you know, we are, we definitely deserve what we deserve. And see, that's what a real Christian needs to understand. When Paul is talking about, man, being strong in grace, that we might do the things that are not appeasing to the flesh, but to please the Lord, that is seeing things with a clear perspective, not a perverted, corrupt mind. You're seeing it from the place of, hey, Lord, honestly, now that you've given me your word and I've read through it, I know how wretched I am, and I know I deserve to go to hell for all my unrighteousness. Save my life that I might be with you, and I may use this life to serve you and distribute that truth to other people that they may also be saved. That's right. So he said, you know, 
He's done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord. That's where he started out right. He said unto Jesus, he called him Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So this guy didn't even say, Well, Jesus, is this true that you got all this stuff? Because if so, I'll believe you right now. This guy conveyed the whole battlefield, saw the whole situation, recognized where he and his partner were, and then looking at an innocent man not defending himself for the sins of the world. This man saw with a fresh perspective. His eyes were clear that he said, you know what, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. I already believe you. You don't have to convince me of anything. You don't have to save me from this cross. I got what I got because it's what I deserve. All I want from you, because I believe who you are, that when we die, today, he said, when you enter into your kingdom, will you, will you allow me to be with you? So what did this thief want? He wanted Jesus. He didn't want to be set free from his circumstances. He didn't want to live this life so he can go back and, and have it easy. He endured the cross with his Savior that, that he might inherit eternal life. So get off this guy's back about what he's done. And this ain't the end of it. We're getting ready to take this into another turn. We're going to cover a few scriptures that we may understand this man was more than worthy of the kingdom of God. Because he had forsaken his own life at the last hour. I'm sick of people using this situation to say... Well, he got saved at the last minute. This man is on the cross willing to give up everything. Now, this is the closest you can be brought to death. He's pretty much on the guillotine, you may as well say. And he's saying, Lord, don't save me. You know, from this life, man, all I'm asking in this situation is I don't care about my life. When you enter into your kingdom, may I be with you. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that, you know, what did he say? I want to say that again. Verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So we've got to understand this guy was willing to share the same fate as Jesus. He wasn't asking for it easy. He wasn't asking to be set free. He believed that Jesus Christ was Savior and Lord. And that was all it took for him to go into eternity. So get off this man's back. Don't tell me about him. Don't tell me about it. This man did not have it easy. And this man sees better on the cross than you can actually see free. Perhaps we need to get on the cross that we may understand that Christ and all he is is all we need. All he wants us to do is to die just like this guy. Man, let's bust this thing open. Let's go to, let's go to Galatians 2. Galatians chapter 2. I'm playing with nobody in here tonight. This is the truth. Galatians 2 and 19. Look at what Paul says. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. So he was talking about Moses' law. He said, man, I'm through with that, that I may live God, I may live unto God. 
not going through rules and rituals and all this other stuff, that, that Christ may live in me and do his will. Now, how do you know that it means that? Look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. This is Paul, who never even got on the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is Paul right here saying the exact same thing that he is crucified with Christ. So you know this is not even about a cross. This is talking about crucifying the flesh, being dead to the world, alive to Jesus, that we might be like him. But you see, you say this to the church people, they're not even on the cross. And you know what? They don't even want to endure it. This cross is easier than the one that the thief endured. Okay, this cross is allowing you day by day to get closer to Jesus that we may drop the old habits and pursue Christ that we might live godly lives. How many people want to do that? That's like pulling teeth with the church today. Let's move on. Let's go to Romans 12 and we'll start at verse 1. I'm just proving. That thief fulfilled scripture in five minutes, or however long they talked. He fulfilled his mission in maybe 30 seconds because he understood what was what. His mind was transformed. Our minds are still in the world looking for an easy way out. Let me just be cool. Let me just be cool. But this guy, if I even had the guts that he had, then I would do what he did. Romans 12. Let's look at this. He says, and, and this is verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now we've got to understand something about this thief and this scripture. Paul is saying that you offer your body. Give it over. Why would you have to be nailed down to a cross in order to obey? But you see, that man was a criminal. He was a sinner, but he got off that cross a saint. So we got to understand, this guy went through the process, but Paul is telling you how to do it. Hey, man, throw your body on the altar to the Lord. Lord, use me as you see fit. Fill me with your spirit that I might be like you. So your will is thrown out the window, and God's will is all that matters. So this guy said, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So what is a cross? A cross is an altar. Mm -hmm. This guy was on the altar with his body sacrificed over. He said, Lord, wherever you want to put me, hey, will you just give me this, that I may be with you in, in paradise. That is, that is offering your body over. He could have stayed a sinner to the last minute, but this guy understood, hey, wait a minute. I'm not trying to get off easy. I know I'm wrong. I'm putting my body on that cross. I'm on the cross. I just want you to take whatever 5, 10, 30 minutes I've got left of my life. Lord, take it and do what needs to be done. And when he did that, the Spirit of the Lord spoke in that man, and God granted him what he needed. All right, so it says that's your reasonable service. A reasonable service that people won't even do. We avoid the cross at all costs instead of just going and, and going through the process. Verse 2, 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you don't think that thieves' mind was transformed on that cross? You don't think he saw clearly after all of this? He surely did. He knew that he was wrong. He knew that he deserved to go to hell, and he gave his life over to Jesus, whatever was left of it. And the Lord gladly took it, not because he was trying to save a criminal from, from enduring what he went through, but that criminal understood his need for Jesus, other than like the other one who just mocked him and did what he wanted to do. Let's move on. Let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we'll begin in verse 1, and it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. All I got to ask everybody is, did the thief do that? He most certainly did. Verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Did the thief do that? Yes, he did. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Did the thief do that? Yeah. He most certainly did. <laughs> when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Did Jesus Christ promise him that? Yes, yes he did. <laughs> Verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil, evil concupiscence, and a covetousness, which is idolatry. Did he lay all those things on the cross? Yes, he did. For which things uh, say, which th for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. That was the other thief, right. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. So before he got on the cross, that guy was a thief. The Bible makes clear of that. He was a thief. This was before. But look at that. Look at eight. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, this guy put off all that stuff on the cross. He became a new man. He became born again in his affliction. But isn't it so funny that verse 10 says, And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. That man had fresh understanding after the image of him that created him. This guy was closer to the image of Jesus Christ than anybody else at that time. This is even before the disciples were born again and became like Christ. This is the first man that got on the cross and understood what it was for that he may be like Christ. So what is the image of Christ? The image of Christ is holiness, self-sacrifice, giving himself over unto total obedience yep. in love. 
This man mimicked Jesus on the cross right next to him, arms stretched out, enduring the same fate. They were looking each other eye to eye. So this guy did put on the new man, and he was in the image of him that created him. Okay, so this man is Christ-like. All right, so let's go on. Let's go to 2 Peter 2, and we'll start at verse 9. Second Peter 2 and verse 9. And it says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So who was this? The other thief. This was the one that just said, you know, I'm just going to say whatever. Ha ha, you fool. You know, if you really be God, save us and yourself. This guy lived that way to the end of his destruction. This is someone that will not endure the cross. Yep. So he says self-will. Was the thief self-will? Mm -hmm. He gave himself over to the Lord. He said, hey man, if this is all I got, these people are mocking him, but I'm sitting there believing this guy's for real. He can't be wrong. His, per his perspective of the Lord was fresh and true. So they're afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. So angels walk in higher esteem. But these are the ones that won't endure the cross. Look at verse 12. But these are natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So how did the other thief die? In his own corruption. A natural brute beast that went forward mocking and not taking it serious. Yep. Verse 13. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So you find that even though they were there on the cross together, they did all not share the same perspective. Jesus and the thief on the cross were good. The other thief mocked up until his death. Man, that is a heart that cannot be fixed that refuses to bow the knee. Look at 14. Eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised and covetous practices, cursed children, which, um, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking uh, with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried uh, with a tempest. So wells without water are people without the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. They are carried away by their own lust. He said clouds that carry with the tempest, of whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. 
So we've got to understand that if we are going to be like Christ, we can learn a lot from that thief that we don't take things lightly because it says here, verse, um, I believe it's verse 18, it says, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are lured through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So we got to understand why the Bible tells us not to be conformed to the world, because for all those that will receive Jesus, you escape the corruption and the wantiness of the world. And as you can see, when Jesus was on the cross, they were trying to get Jesus to go back to the world. They were trying to get him to save himself. And you see, this is what's going to happen to people when they don't want to serve Jesus Christ. You know, people are going to always tell you, it don't take all of that. Man, don't worry about it. Have your best life now. Enjoy life. But Jesus is trying to lead them and those who will be like him unto the cross that we might be made right. Okay, verse um, 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. So we understand about this thief on the cross. He wasn't looking for his liberty that he may do what he wanted. Mm -hmm. He wanted out. He said, hey, man, it was this world that led me to be a thief. It was this world that led me to be corrupt. Yeah. I'm looking for a way out of this and my liberty. My liberty is going to be to Jesus Christ, not to perishing in my own wretchedness. So let's move on. But, you know, let's move on. We're going to go a little forward. But I just want to put more emphasis on this thief because it is important that people understand this. Let's go to Luke 14 and we'll start at verse 11. Luke 14 and verse 11. You notice how quiet everything gets. Let me play some names on there. I know they're listening, man. All right. Luke 14 and verse 11, the words of Jesus Christ says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Did the thief humble himself? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what was he? Exalted unto paradise with Jesus Christ. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. I mean, be made thee. Yeah. Uh, when, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lamed, and the blind. So, you know, the poor can be really anybody that's not Christ. Why? Because they don't have that treasure in Jesus Christ. Now, yes, we're speaking of physically poor people that are without, but they're also poor because they don't have Christ. Mm -hmm. How do I know this? Hold where you are, and we're going to go right to, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Hold where you are, and we're going to Revelation 3. This is interesting what Jesus says. All right. Okay, so we're going to go to um, verse 14. Uh, Revelation 3 and 14. Listen to Jesus. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Here we go. And would not work cold or hot. Uh, so then, because thou art lukewarm uh, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, that's one, miserable too, poor and blind and naked. So he made clear, if you don't have me, you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. What did Jesus come? To bind up the broken heart, to set the captives free, to heal the liberty, them that are, blues, that are bruised, and to restore sight to the blind. So yes, Jesus Christ may be speaking of a physical poor, but he's also speaking of anybody without Christ is poor. Yes is poor. You have not reached your godly inheritance. Look at 18. I counsel thee to buy, from, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment. That means you make it in and your sins have been washed clean. And thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness uh, do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. So this is a mouthful. That thief bought that gold. Mm -hmm. Also, people don't know that when Jesus was crucified, along with those thieves, man, for Roman public humiliation, you were naked. Yeah. But this man was clothed because he was no longer in his sins. He was given a white robe which washed away his wretchedness that he might be like Christ. Also, he says, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. This is why this guy was able to see the big picture. He was anointed on that cross. He was able to see his perspective was correct that he might inherit eternal life. So this is why Jesus came and this is what this man yielded to even on the cross. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to 14, Luke 14. And Jesus said to bring the maimed, the lame, the blind, the crippled. Don't invite your rich friends. Don't invite kinsmen, your family. You know, he said, bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lamed, and the blind. So that's anyone unsaved. Mm -hmm. Anyone not knowing Jesus Christ. Yes, they may have physical needs, but stop going after the people that you know that are saved people that are religious and all that. Man, come after the people that will receive Christ, right. those that need him. Verse 14, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. The thief understood this. That's why he gave everything over, mm -hmm. because he knew that there was nothing here to maintain. That's right. Verse 15, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this guy even understood too. Hey man, blessed is them that eat bread in the kingdom, not bread on earth. That's why Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And that guy was listening in. You believe me. When he was on that cross... 
He was listening in to everything Jesus said because he wanted out. Verse 16, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. So this is the invitation of Jesus Christ that he's given to people, to the servants who are his believers that will do what he says. He said, go and invite people unto this supper. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Now, you know, this is an individual that had his whole life to come to an invitation and they wouldn't choose it. But then you got the thief on the cross who had no invitation, asked to be accepted and to be brought in mm -hmm. because he could see. Verse uh, 19, that's why this period is called grace. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, which is Jesus Christ, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and, and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done, as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. So what does the Lord want? He said, man, my supper is not going to be void of people of the world. I'm going after anybody that will receive the truth. Now notice the time is short because he said, go out quickly. Go quickly and get this done, man, before this marriage supper starts. So you get a quick sense that those people that are going to be saved are going to be those who really need the Lord. Those religious people are going to fall away. And that's why he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Yeah. I just put something here. Um, when it said the first guy had bought a piece of land, mm -hmm. it said that he was sensual, earthly, soulish. Mm -hmm. When the second guy said, I have five yoke of oxen, he was yoked to this world because of the yoke. Mm -hmm. And then the third one said, I have married a wife. And that means that he is so tied up into his wife. He's married to the world. Exactly. Great point. That's a great point. With all that going on, that's why, man, I don't want none of it. I want to yeah. give it to the Lord first. Yep. So he says, verse 22, uh, no, I passed verse 22, verse 23, and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. So he said, compel them to come in. Let's see what compel means. Let's go to, uh, I'm going to go to Luke 14. What verse is that? Mm, 23. Luke 14 and 23. All right. So he says, go and compel all right, so this is Strong's uh, G, or Greek, 315. And it says, to necessitate, compel, drive to, constrain, by force, threats, etc. Now, you know, we're not doing that by force, but he's saying the word compel means. So by force would be staying on that person's case, pleading. But the threats would be, hey, I don't want you to go to hell. Right. 
I want you to know who Jesus Christ is, etc. By permission, entreaties, etc. By other means. Now this is uh, Strong's 3, 8 and 18. And it says, necessity imposed either by the circumstances or by law of duty regarding to one's advantage, custom, argument, calamity, distress, and straits. So he's saying that we should look at this as needful. We need to do this that people might get saved. So he said, man, compel them to come in. Mm -hmm. Not just here, oh, all right, you don't want it? Okay. Man, we should be hot on their case with the word of God. So he says, um, and that my house might be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So those people that all made excuse, man, you're not getting in. You're having your best life now. Did the thief do that? The thief could have asked to be free. He probably wouldn't have been, but you understand what I'm saying? He knew, man, there's nothing back here for me. Yep. If this is going to be my end, and I've seen what this world truly is, man, allow me to come into your kingdom. Not because I deserve it, but because I believe that you are Christ. This is the first time, Lord, you and I are speaking. This is the first time I've seen you engage people. This is the first time that I've heard of you. But I believe you as if you would talk to me every day, as if you and I have sat down and supped together, as if you have knocked on my door. So this is all the same. It's all the same. The very first encounter this man has with Jesus, he knows that he is Lord, making him more than qualified to go into the kingdom. All right, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he can his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That thief did not love his life. That thief didn't ask to go home and talk to his mom. Nope. That thief didn't say, Lord, bid me farewell that I may go and do what I need to do and then come and follow you. That thief was hooked to the cross and all he could think about was Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. not his own life. That's right. He could have been sitting there like the church does today, the false church, blaming God for being in that situation. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy understood Jesus Christ was innocent. Thank you for coming into my life. And we're going to look up this word hate because it's not like hatred but it is like disliking it very strongly. All right, so he says, let's look up the word hate. All right, this is uh, G3404, and the word is missio, and it says to hate, pursue with hatred, detest, to be hated, detested. So this is talking about somewhat hatred, but you know, when you hate your life, when you hate the world, when you hate that people are bound because you can see, you want people set free. See, the only way that people are going to long for the coming of Jesus Christ is if they hate the world. As long as you love the world, you can't look for Jesus. Jesus is going to rain on your parade. So he says, man, if you don't hate these things, it doesn't mean hate your mom. It means that if your mom be against Jesus Christ, then she is your enemy. Yep. If she refuses to come in, 
If your father, your sister, your mother, your daughter refuse to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are your enemy if you be of Christ. That's right. If they refuse to come in, they will only hinder you from making it into eternal life. Amen. And I'm not going to take that back because I know that's what the Lord meant. And now some people will say, oh, well, that sounds mean and harsh. Okay, look at verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Was that thief bearing his cross? That thief would have followed Jesus anywhere he wanted to go, even if they were let down. Why? Because he was convinced of the truth. Verse 28. And this also shows you, too, that people that have given up the world for Christ, that's all they know. That's all they know is Jesus. And see, that's the conclusion that man here needs to get to. That all you know is the cross. All you know is what Jesus wants you to know. Now, some people think that's hard to understand. Then have your eyes washed with eye salve and anointed of the Holy Ghost that you might see. Look at verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? So Jesus Christ is asking you, saying, I know that this isn't going to be easy. I know your heart is going to ache and pain. I know many days you are going to be afraid and you are going to feel alone. But you better count the cost if you want to consider yourself being a disciple of mine. Because what I'm preaching and what I'm teaching is self-denial until you get to the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not saying you got to deny yourself, you know, of everything, but you do have to give it up for Christ. Christ wants you to get married, he'll marry you. Christ wants you to have a work somewhere so you may win souls. He'll, he'll command you to do that. But we've got to be led of the Spirit in all accounts. And that thief understood this better than anybody. So he says, verse 29, Lest haply, after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Now what did happen? Jesus was on that cross. That thief was on that cross, and they were both being mocked and made fun of, but they endured until the end. Why? Because they wanted that tower to be built. Not a tower made with hands, but that whose builder and maker is God. They were looking for that place to be built up, that they may make it into eternity. Well, he was. Jesus was already, you know, he was already saved. So it says, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And you know what? That's what, the, that's what the people wanted to do to Jesus. They were hoping that he gave up. They gave pointless, countless excuses of giving up. Yep. Man, you save other people and you can't save you? Jesus Christ endured. Mm -hmm. That thief on the cross endured. He said, you guys may call him a fool, but I know he's not. I know what he's saying is true. Yep. And I'm going with him. Yeah, you guys laugh all you want, but I figured this thing out. This has got to be God on the cross. And guess where I'm going? Right with him. So let's go to um, one other spot. I don't want to uh, take too long on this. Let's go to um, let's go to Matthew 10. And we're going to start at verse 24.
All right, Matthew 10 and 24, what does Jesus Christ say? The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is Lord of the dunghill, or the devil, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that ye speak in the light, and what ye hear in the ear, that ye preach upon the housetops, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what does this guy know? That this is exactly what could have happened to him. This thief understood. I mean, that time it was impeccable. He was as his master on the cross. But his, his time, I mean, hey, the Lord helped him figure it out. But whatever he figured out is the straight cut gospel in being with Jesus Christ. He said, hey, man, I believe that this is God. He said, man, I ain't worrying about my physical life. You guys can destroy this. But I know from being with this man that he is the truth. Got to be as your master. And you got people here today trying to avoid it. Jesus said, man, take up your cross and follow me. Amen. Take up your cross and follow after me. Let's go to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're almost done. But I noticed today, the reason why a lot of people um, won't come to know Jesus Christ is because they've had some bad religious experience. Mm -hmm. And they see the world, they see the church today pretty much as the other people on the cross, which is, you know, if you're going to save us, then, you know, save yourself and us, which that's what the false church wants to happen. Mm -hmm. So that way, when people, when sinners or unsaved people run into someone who is as the other thief on the cross mm -hmm. that was willing to die, they're still going to mock that because that is still thousands of years today, 2,000 years later, mm -hmm. not much has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, people are still mocking people that really believe in Jesus Christ because they see you're not interrupting their life. Mm -hmm. There's a major change that they can obviously see in those that are willing to die with Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. They don't want nothing to do with that. Exactly. And you know what? Right now, you know, I'm feeling moved by the Spirit. You know what? For people who don't believe, I'm not here to make fun of you. I'm here to tell you the truth that you've got a real enemy. Mm -hmm. Be it you are a baby Christian, be it you're somebody that's caught up in false religion. Whatever the circumstances are from this point on, guys... You know, we're, we're already explaining what the thief of the cross is and what he did. And you might be like Christ also if you listen to these last few scriptures. These last few things that we're going to go over, it is important. It is imperative that you understand them, that you might be with Christ. Right. This is Philippians 3. We'll start at verse 1 and Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. 
So it is important that we, we, we be aware of these people because these we're going to find out what they are later in this chapter. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is making it clear. There is a particular type that is of the circumcision that have given themselves over to the Lord. We're speaking to the holy remnant that will worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. No matter what we're led to do, Jesus Christ is what it's about. And then he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. So I've asked the question before, and I'm asking listeners out there now, why must we believe in order to be sustained that we've got to be married to the world than to believe that Jesus Christ can give you everything that you need? He took them to a barren desert that they might be able to be fed. He took them into places unknown. He took them into places without resource to show them that if you have Jesus Christ, you've got everything that you need. Okay, so it is important that we get this. So he, they have no confidence in the flesh. Once you, see, as you grow in faith, you're supposed to have less confidence in the flesh. Not the same amount. You should be getting stronger in your faith because you are drawing nigh unto God. Right. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh, I mean other man thinketh that he hath whereof, uh, he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. So Paul's going to lay out his resume to let people know, hey guys, if I wanted to really rest in the flesh, I would probably top you by a whole lot. But that's not what this is about. This is about getting to know Jesus and enduring the cross that we might be like him. Verse um, 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, and as touching the law of Pharisee. So he was a Pharisee. This guy knew the Old Testament. You can't argue with Paul. Paul knew this stuff. He knew his tradition mm -hmm. concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So he was persecuting the church. He thought he was doing the right thing, but eventually the Lord came and found him, revealed himself, and Paul got on the winning team. That is all we're inviting anyone to do that is listening. Join the winning team. Yep. But when we get done with this teaching, the thief on the cross will not be your excuse. It shouldn't be already. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So he counted everything. He was a part, his education, whatever it was he believed before, his tradition. He threw all that stuff away for Jesus Christ. Yep. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. This is the same mentality as the thief. He wanted the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, to whom he suffered right next to him on the cross, uh, and the loss of all things. That's why he didn't ask to be let go. That's why he didn't ask to be set free. He said, man, I got Christ. This is where I'm riding into eternity. So he says in verse 9, 
and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of the Christ, I mean of Christ, uh, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So how did that thief make it in? He believed. More importantly, he knew that he wasn't worthy, but he knew that Christ was. And that was what, he's got the same mind as Paul in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds, he said, man, I'm nothing. We deserve this. You don't. Yeah. Will you welcome me into your kingdom? So he was, he was realistic in his circumstances. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So what was the thief? Made conformable unto the death of Christ. Why? Because he says he was longing for the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So the thief welcomed his circumstances on the cross. He welcomed his situation to be on the cross with Christ if it meant his eternal life. Let's not let that shoot by us. Verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for the that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So he found himself joined with Christ. Where Christ goes, I go. What Christ wants, I want. What Christ commands, that I will do. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now this is exactly what the, the thief did. He forgot about those things which are behind. Yeah. yeah, I was a thief, but now that I'm recognizing that I got righteousness in front of me, I've got salvation, I'm going forward with everything I have unto the end of my life. Amen. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. So if he's, we're speaking to anybody here that wants to be perfect, be thus minded. So what was that thief? He was perfect. Yep. If anyone wants to be perfect, you got to have the same mind. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So what is Paul making it clear? It is impossible to fall away from Jesus Christ because the Holy Ghost will make clear to you those things which are offensive unto God. Why? That we might choose the right thing and our God might be pleased. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16 what he told Peter. Because Peter said, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer many things for, the, for this generation, for this world. And Peter said, no, no, Lord, be it not done unto you, Lord. You know, be it not done unto you. And what did Jesus say? Get, Get thee down. behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but are of men. Yep. So Jesus wanted anyone that was pushing him away from the cross, Jesus wanted them pushed away. Was that what you were thinking about or something else? I was just thinking, this dude went from sinner saved and sanctified. 
Within 30 minutes. You know, however long it took, he endured. Right. So people got to understand, the thief talking about his last hour, the thief was, had great revelation and understanding because he was on that cross. That thief understood more than you. Man, see, when you're strapped to the cross and your life is on the line, you can't think about anything else. And see, don't allow yourself, people, to get brought to that place mm -hmm. to where you are in a hopeless situation. You know why? It might be too late. Mm -hmm. So you ought to come when the Lord calls. Paul is saying right now, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Man, just do it yep. so that Christ can fill you. And look at how we fight him. So who's the real malefactor here? Who's the real criminal? It is you. You know why? Because you're riding around with a stolen car. You're stealing something, the body of the Lord, the temple of God that does not belong to you so that you can be involved in your own filth, your own pleasures, and your own desires. The thief gave the body back. He's no longer a criminal. You're still running around with yours because you don't want the Lord to live in you and work through you. Yep. You are a higher criminal than he is. Give it to him so that he can make you right. So he says, verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So if Paul had forsaken the world, if you're a Christian, you need to forsake the world. If Paul suffered persecution for being godly, then you need to be godly and persecution will come your way. You don't look for persecution. If you are authentic, if you be of Christ, it is guaranteed to come your way. If the world belongs to Satan, he doesn't like anybody looking like Christ here. So if you haven't gone through persecution, if you have not forsaken anything for Christ, you better check your spirit and what it is that you truly believe. And more importantly, who you truly are, that you might repent that Jesus Christ may live in you. Oh, verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk as ye, uh, as, as us for an example. An example is an example. So Paul is saying, hey guys, pay attention to the way I'm walking. Be followers of me and of Christ because I follow what Christ wanted. You guys need to follow what the disciples are doing. Why? That is your only way in. You cannot be thinking of trying to do it your own way. If you are truly led by the Spirit, which the Bible says that every son of God is, then the only place that Spirit is going to lead you is to the cross. Mm -hmm. That you might die, that Christ may live. Now, are we talking physical death? No. We're talking about mortifying our members, not letting the cares of this life get to you, that Christ may dictate what you do. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and, to, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what are the enemies of Christ? The enemies of the cross? We did a teaching on that. What's that? Antichrist. Antichrist. The things that don't want you pursuing the Lord. Mm -hmm. You see how when I'm sitting here telling everybody now, you, got, you probably got a demon spirit in your ear saying, this guy has no love. What this guy is preaching is too hard. What this guy is saying, I don't believe because God is love. God is love. But in order for you to be perfected in love, 
You've got to die so that Christ may live in you. That is important. So he says, these people are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he's going to describe these enemies. Look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction, like the other thief, like the Pharisees and those who mocked him and did things to him, whose God is their belly. What was that other thief thinking about? Himself. Saving himself. Mm -hmm. That was the only reason he wanted Jesus to be free. And because he wanted to be freed aside from Jesus, he would have gone right back to his, his thieving evil life. Yep. On to his destruction. And whose glory is in their shame. This God gloried mocking Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mocking him unto his death. Not even fearing God like the other thief did. Yep. Then he says, who mind earthly things. So why did that thief want to be free? Because he minded earthly things. He wanted to be free to live in this life. The other thief said, man, I want out so that I may live the way that Christ lived. Exactly. That I may be with him. He only wanted Jesus. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. See, not on the earth. For whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did that thief look for the Savior? He most certainly did. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body? Did that thief know that his body was vile? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That he may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So that guy wanted to be like Christ. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we, we are done. You know what? Matter of fact, Romans 12 real quick. I mean, not Romans. Hebrews 12 and 1. And then if you can, get um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to Hebrews 12 first. I want to make this point clear for everybody out there because they may feel like I'm beating them up with what I'm saying. So I, I said all that to say this to you. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, easily push us aside, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So here we are as so-called believers, because we just, you know, if you go back to Hebrews 11, it'll tell you about all those great ones that have faith. Now, Paul is saying, because I believe he wrote Hebrews, and he said that we are compassed about, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You've got Joshua, you've got David, you've got the disciples, you've got Elijah, you've got Moses, you've got Abraham, you've got Jacob, you've got all these guys that have made their mark, believing God and accomplish great things, not even having the spirit. Now, you got you and I who have been born again in Christ or the ability to be born again that Christ may live in you. Now, you know that Christ was greater than any of them. So what we need to understand is that he says, man, lay, lay aside every weight, everything holding you back mm -hmm. and the sin, which is so easily, you know, setting us off or offsetting us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Look at verse two. Looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus Christ despised the shame. They mocked him. He was naked. They put a crown of thorns on his head. You know, they, they pierced his side and outran blood and water. They pierced his hands and his feet. And they spat on him. And they beat him. And you're trying to tell me, you can't even give your life to the Lord. You can't even give him time that he might do something for you. This is something to think about. Because you see, the thief came to this conclusion pretty quickly. He recognized, man, I'm a sinner. I just want to be with Jesus Christ. And here we are free, claiming to be believers, but we won't give the Lord what he wants. He said, Jesus counted it as joy. He counted the cross as joy, that he may be available unto the Father, that he may save you and I. For what purpose? That we might save others. And we can't even give him that. Verse 3, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So we ought to always take in remembrance what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. We ought to always feel that unless we faint and become complacent and decide to believe that he's not worthy. That's what your flesh will tell you. But see, as you endure and you continue with Christ, the Spirit will lead you unto that truth that, you know what? Jesus Christ endured, and so will I. But see, if you don't understand what grace is, if you don't understand what it is to be worthy of death and to be set free, then you don't get this picture. You don't get how an innocent man, a king of glory, with his father, came into the world obeying his father that you and I might see another day. That's so important. Verse 4. Uh, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise, thou not, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So you see, Jesus wants us to despise not the chastening. Paul is telling us this, that we not faint. When we get rebuked of the Lord, this is a glorious thing because that means he's paying attention to you to lead you on the right path. And then he says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Um, if ye endure chastening, if you endure that spanking or that correction or that rebuking, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he? whom the Father chasteneth not. So, you know, if you're living your life and you ain't pricked in your conscience and the Lord ain't taking you where you need to go, chances are you're not even saved. You don't even feel that you need to be there for the Lord. I suggest you get born again. You spend time with the Lord and you give yourself over to him that he might work with you. Mm -hmm. Verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So it is important that we endure what Jesus Christ wants us to so that we won't become fatherless. 
Because that's what the devil wants. That's the spirit that is around this world. The devil is turning everything matriarchal and he's trying to get people up under the headship of God. You know why? Because he is a bastard spirit. He's got no father. So in order for you to not be with the God of gods, he'll try and entice you to follow him, not to go to the cross, not that Christ will live. What makes us sons and daughters of God is that the devil, I mean, not the devil, that the Lord sees the, the God, the Father, Christ in you. That's what makes you a son. Not that you're really a son. It is Christ in you, being full of the Spirit, being like Christ. That is what makes you a son. Because the only qualified son of the Father is Jesus Christ. Nine, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. And we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, Afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So we got to understand, if we yield ourselves to the Lord, God will give us that peaceable fruit that we might be like Christ and do what he tells us to do. But we must endure the chastening. That is what the, the cross is all about, that you might be made over, renovated, and built up for Jesus. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to close. All right. Second Timothy 4, and we'll begin at verse 1. And this is Paul. I charge thee, I command you therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Who are the quick and the dead? The quick would have been the thief on the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, the dead would have been his counterpart and those that were whipping him and mocking him. Yep. So the quick are those who have the spirit, who receive God and are born again. And the dead are those who refuse to go through the process of the cross and sanctification. At his appearing and his kingdom. So what was that thief after? The appearing of the Lord and his kingdom. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now think about this. If you were to go back to Luke 23, that uh, thief, he preached the word. He said, man, do you not realize that we're in the same position, that he is innocent and we are not? Do you not fear God? He was preaching the word. Yep. And what did he do to his counterpart? He rebuked him. Yep. So this is what he's doing. And how did he rebuke that other thief? With all long suffering and doctrine. Yep. Why was it doctrine? Because he had his sights set on the kingdom of God. How was it long suffering? He was right there on the cross, right next to Jesus. A crucifixion is a slow death. Painful at that. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And this is why everybody talks about the thief on the cross. Because they don't want to endure sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know what they, all they see from the thief of the cross is, I can live like hell and run in at the last minute when I get ready. You better understand what this thief on the cross was all about. He was, he fulfilled scripture. He was like Jesus Christ. He fulfilled scripture in 30 seconds yep. of conversation. So they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears after their own lust, you know, that these people are after. So a lot of people don't want the truth. They don't want to hear about the cross. They don't want to hear about self-denial. They don't want to hear about Christ in you. They don't want to hear about war and a good warfare. They don't want to hear about going and preaching the gospel to every creature. You know why? Because you're the other thief. What you need to be is the one that recognizes need for Jesus. And then you'll understand that preaching the gospel is a great honor. It's a pleasure. You know, going after souls is a great honor. Being like Christ and enduring his affliction is an honor. Rebuking people that they might be saved is an honor. Mm -hmm. But when you don't see right and that eye salve, you don't have it. And you are one of the blind that Jesus Christ came to save you won't see. Nope. Unless we go through the process, you'll understand that this is not hard bondage. That would be an easy and a light yoke, like Jesus Christ says, being led of the Spirit. For those that are of the Spirit, he said they have entered into their rest. So the God leads from there. Christ does the work in you. And you better give it up to him. Verse 5. But watch thou in all things. So be aware. Endure afflictions. That's what a Christian should have. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So what does an evangelist do? They go out and they win souls. But let's get the proper meaning of evangelist before we close. All right, so I'm going to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I believe that is verse what? I believe it's five, and it says, do the work of an evangelist. So let's look up the word evangelist. It's G2099, and the word is eugalistes, and it means a bringer of good tidings, an evangelist, uh, the name given to the New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ, who are the apostles, a preacher of the gospel. Now look at this. This is... um. A further word meaning Ugalizo, which is G2097, a bringer of good news to announce glad tidings used in the Old Testament of any kind of good news of the joyful tidings of God's kindness, in particular of the messianic blessings. In the New Testament, used especially of the glad tidings of the coming kingdom of God. Now, that's what he preached to that. That's what that thief on the cross wanted. The coming kingdom of God and of the salvation to be obtained in it through Christ. And of what relates to this salvation. So, you know, you're not just telling people about the good news. You're telling people what relates to this salvation. How do you get it? Now, he's talking about, you know, that uh, God's kindness. We got to understand what kindness is because you know what kindness is to us? cookies, donuts, giving cards and telling people you love them. 
Hey, Jesus said there is no greater love than those who will give their life for their friends. We have to understand outside of Jesus Christ, the only thing left for us is God's wrath. So God's kindness will be to tell people about Christ that they will not endure God's wrath. When does the resurrection occur? Just before the wrath of God. We are not saved from the wrath of Satan. As a Christian, it is your duty. You will endure afflictions, as Paul says, and you will endure. But God's wrath is when he is coming back to destroy this world and all the ungodly, and then he's going to bring forward a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. So the good news is Christ in you. The good news is you've got a free pass. The good news is that free pass, the name is Jesus Christ, that you might not meet the wrath of God. That's the good news. All the stuff that people want to say, and this is C. Glad tidings are brought to one, one as glad tidings proclaim to him. To proclaim glad tidings, instruct men concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. So, you know, it's a, it's a difficult walk, but it is joy for those who be in Christ. All right, so I'm going to finish up here. So he says... But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So what is Paul saying? We need to go with this hardcore. We need to do what Jesus Christ said, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And what did he give signs of? These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, deadly thing, it will not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So you know how many unbelievers there are out there? You know why? People are not going. It's not that the gifts are not there. They're not going. In order for gifts to follow, you have to go. And people are not going. So there's a lot of unbelief in the midst. So when Paul says make full proof of your ministry, that is full proof of your ministry. Not only do you believe, but there'll come a point when signs and miracles will follow. And that's what God is interested in. That is like Christ. Verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered. Was it the thief? He was ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul here, as he wrote 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's dying in prison. This is Paul's last letter. So he says he's ready to be offered. That thief was ready to be offered. And his time of departure was on the cross. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, uh, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them, them also that love his appearing. Mm-hmm. So he says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So we understand we ought to be diligent. You know, that thief, he did fight a good fight. And that's why it's not how you start this race. It's how you finish it. Because at the last minute, Jesus said, remember, invite those people in who may come. Jesus' work, instead of, you want to talk about the thief on the cross, let's talk about Jesus. We're not supposed to be like the thief on the cross. 
We're supposed to be like Christ. Amen. So let's understand this one thing. Even while Jesus was dying on the cross, he still had time to save two more souls. Even in his death, the guy who pierced him got sprinkled with the blood and he fell down on his knees believing God. Yep. Okay, so Jesus' work, even on the cross, had time to save one more soul. And you were looking for an easy pass, void of doing what the Lord says. You know, I just wanted to bring this forward tonight out of love. I'm telling people, I love you. And that's yep. why I'm telling Amen. you the truth. We need to give Jesus Christ everything we have. But we need to work and do what he says to do that we might be righteous. Man, the cross is your only way in. And, they, and that cross will transform you unto Jesus Christ. That's right. All right, so that's the lesson for tonight. That's the thief on the cross. Hopefully we'll have more understanding. I'm sure a lot of people won't like what I had to say, but... Since when did I ever care about that? Never. All we got to worry about is, is Jesus Christ pleased in what he wants? Amen. So, all right. You guys have a good night, and we're going to pray out from here. Come to know Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight in Jesus' name. And I want to thank you, Lord God, for all and everything that you've done for us, Lord. And Lord, I'm just praying because I know that the devil, Lord, was in control of the weather tonight and he really tried to hinder people. But Lord, I'm just praying tonight that who are all and out in it tonight, Lord Jesus Christ, that you come upon their lives, that they will be saved, that they will be safe. Yes, Lord. Because Lord God, we are not promised another day on this earth. We don't have much time left before all of this is just going to come to a close, Lord, and we better know you for real in our lives before all this happens and i truly believe that you are giving us this grace period lord not that we frustrate your grace lord but that we come to know you for real each and every one of us in our lives and i'm praying that all and everyone that heard this message tonight lord will be as that thief on the cross who gave all and everything at that last hour lord and I'm praying that everyone who's been a part of a Bible ministry, everyone who's been a part of a real church, Lord, that we stop playing games with you and that we crucify this flesh, Lord, that we take up our cross and follow you, that we be sanctified, Lord Jesus Christ, and that we give it all to you for a world out there, Lord, lost and going to hell. But I'm praying, Lord, that we get out of this mindset of having an easy life, Lord. If you endured the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, if your disciples endured their cross, Lord, if all and everyone who wanted this word to come forward endured their cross, then what are we doing walking around not wanting to endure our cross but saying that we believe in you? Lord, that is, fair, that is heresy. It is not true. And we just need to stop the lies, Lord. And give it all to you. Do whatever it takes to follow after you, Lord God. To follow after righteousness. To follow after everything that you've set forward in our lives. That we give up our will, Lord. That we give up our selfish nature. And give it all to you, Lord God. You, that Lord. your miracles can be wrought in us. In a world today, Lord. That have had bad religious experience. This is not about religion, Lord. This is about a walk with you, a relationship with you, Lord Jesus yes, Christ. Lord. Let us endure that persecution, Lord God Almighty, that we may be just like 
you in these last days that yes. in the name of Jesus, in the Jesus blind name. eyes will be opened, the deaf ears will be opened, the lame will walk, and the dead will rise in Jesus Christ yes, in Lord. these last days. Thank you, God. Thank you, Thank you Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Be with those that we have prayed for. Be with those that we have invited to come, Lord Jesus Christ, off the streets, the lame, Lord, the blind, the crippled, whoever it is, that they will come to know you so they can testify, hey, I lived in once in the world, but now I'm dead to the world and alive in Jesus Christ, that they will go out and do your work. Thank you, God Almighty. Thank, Thank you, you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We are going to take on the full armor of God and keep it on because, Lord, we have got to have on that armor as we walk in this world today full of deceit, full of lies, full of antichrist full of Satan, that people will be saved out of this world. Thank yes. you, God. In Thank Jesus you, Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.